Genesis 2, 8 through 20. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic, ricin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the name of the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Oof. <laughs> now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what it was named. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. John? How about his voice, huh? His voice is something else. <laughs> hey, when I come into uh, new churches, uh, it's good for me. Uh, I heard John's voice a couple weeks ago as I was listening to Vince's sermon. And as uh, John read the passage, I was struck by the beauty of his vocal cords. Just... <laughs> I mean, there's something beautiful about certain voices, and so props, props to God on creating John. Uh, when I come into new places, it's helpful for me, uh, for you to get a picture and a glimpse of my family, and so I, I brought a family picture along, and uh, I think it's up here. There you go. Hey, this is a recent picture of uh, me with my wife Amy and our three boys, uh, Brighton, who's tallest, Everett, who's tucked there in between me and him, and then Luke, uh, 11, 8, and 4, and uh, they had just gotten done uh, climbing on a ropes course and uh, showing us how they could climb up as high as they could get, and sort of competing, not only with each other, but dad, because they wanted to see if they could out-distance me in height, and if they could uh, overcome their fears uh, a little bit better than I could. It was a, it was a fun day. Uh, but we make our home in Encinitas, so North County, San Diego. Uh, San Diego, greater San Diego is where I work. And as Vince said, I work for an organization called Flourish San Diego. And what we're about is about you, understanding how important, meaningful, and valuable your work is to God's kingdom. It's not as if God does his work outside of uh, his people. He actually is moving by a spirit in a number of different ways in the midst of our cities, in the midst of culture. And so what we do with churches is we help leaders, pastors and board members, elders, help them understand how important it is uh, uh, the work of God's people. 
So often we live disconnected lives, and we'll talk about this this morning. We live disconnected lives between what we experience on any given Sunday and what we do spending our time Monday through Saturday, right? We live disconnected lives between what we experience on even any given Sunday and what we experience in our everyday life Monday through Saturday, right? You following with me? Does that make sense? And so I get to uh, spend time with churches and people, nonprofits, businesses who want to take seriously the work of God's people to say work actually matters. Work actually matters. Your work, my work, our work matters. And so today as we jump into this part of counterculture, I hope that you have new eyes and ears, a new heart that feels something about what you do Monday through Saturday. You know, we have a cultural saying, a cultural mantra, uh, sort of degrading Monday. Are you following me? Yeah. Like people are, here we are on Sunday. We're, we're thinking about work already. We're thinking about a to-do list. And there are people who just go, oh, Monday. That just does not sound good. It's like a curse word in our society. Right? And, and there's a reality that, that for the people of God, Monday should be a great day in the week. We should be able to say, we are going to do what God has called me to do. We're going to invest ourselves in such a way that we're going to give our life away for the sake of God's kingdom, Monday through Saturday. Right? All right, so this morning, uh, your vision as a church is all of life, all about Jesus. That's what you're about. And this morning, we get to look at all of life, including work. All of life, including work. And we're going to talk about work, even for those who are young and those who are old, because we have certain perceptions of work, what work is. Let me pray real quick. God, we uh, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your spirit who's alive and active, opening us up to you, making us aware of how you are at work in our lives, not just in gathered community, but as we scatter, not just in uh, the midst of uh, worship, but in our everyday tangible lives, in the flesh and blood of work. God, might we be people who uh, look forward to what you are going to do in us and through us in the midst of work. Might we be uh, inspired to discover more fully how you want to use us in our creativity. God, might you empower by your spirit your people to be your people. In the various spheres that we inhabit week by week, day by day, hour by hour. God, would you open us up today? Let us hear your voice. Let us see you working actively in our lives. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I like to uh, begin at the beginning of the story because the good news of Jesus doesn't just arrive when Jesus arrives in the scene in Matthew. The good news of Jesus starts all the way back in Genesis in God's intention, God's dream, God's plan for the world. God's desire to see the good news planted in Adam and Eve's lives in this garden that he calls delight and that he wants to see lived out for a future trajectory. The good news is all the way back there in the beginning of the story. 
there are these two invitations that God gives Adam and Eve at the very beginning of the story. I have a slide here. And there are two invitations, God's gracious invitation to work and God's gracious invitation to rest. And both, I used to say this, I used to say this, that, that it was God's gracious invitation to work and to be with him. But the reality is, is that God invites us to work and to rest with him. To work and to rest with God, the creator of the universe. He wants to be with us in the midst of our work and in the midst of our rest. And while I don't get to talk too much about rest this morning, uh, I wanna talk about work because it takes up so much of our, uh, the hours of our week, the, the days of our lives, right? So here in Genesis 2, as John read, Genesis 2.15, God takes Adam, this first human, and he places him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Adam was working the soil. He was caring for what God cared for. The word Eden is an interesting Hebrew word, and we don't translate it for some reason. I don't understand why, because there's so much meaning behind it. But the meaning of Eden means delight. God placed Adam in this garden called delight, and he wanted to him to work the soil, to take care of the soil, to do hard work in the garden. He wanted Adam to delight in the place and the creatures that God had created. Do you hear that? God wanted Adam, his creation, to delight in what he created. Now, uh, many of us, uh, most of us are not farmers. Anyone grow up on a farm in here? We're getting one, yeah. No, no, raise it because there's insight. Very few of us have roots back into the world of farming. Very few of us now do. And I think it's important. And any gardeners in here? Maybe, maybe urban gardeners? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Raise your hand. Yeah, sort of, sort of. We kill things once in a while. We try. See, this work of getting our hands dirty this work of pulling out unwanted plants of weeds that get in the, uh, that get in the way of the good plants growing, of, of nourishing soil, of uh, uprooting plants, of, of trimming and, and pruning plants becomes really foreign to us when it's a hobby, when it's something that's over there that we might do in our, our extra time if we have any extra time. For some people, it's more than a hobby. They love uh, gardening. But for Adam, it was his work. God called him to work by working in the soil and getting his hands dirty. And I know for most of us, it's a little foreign, that work. How do I relate to that work of Adam, of taking care of plants, of taking care of trees, of a garden? But just a few verses later in Genesis 2, 19 and 20, God gives Adam new work. Adam gets to name all the creatures that God creates. God gives Adam power. He empowers Adam to name every animal that he creates. And Adam comes up with some pretty creative names. I mean, even in English, if we didn't go back to the language that Adam was speaking, even in English, we have some pretty creative names. Hippopotamus and duck-billed platypus. And uh, we have extinct names of dinosaurs that my kids can rattle off left and right, and I have no idea how they're pronounced these days. 
but we have the power of naming animals. It's work with our mind. It's work with our mind. There's this really interesting note about naming too because we, we do sing songs. I don't know if you do in your community, but sing songs about the name of God or maybe we pray in the name of Jesus. We, right, you following me? Do you get this? Yeah? Well, in the Hebrew world, in the Jewish world, the name was really important to understand. Naming was about controlling something. It was about taking power from something. And so in the Hebrew scriptures, when the Jewish uh, scribes, the religious uh, leaders would read the text, when they came upon the name of God in the Hebrew text, they remained silent. So there would be a verse and it would say, now the had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. See, the Jewish people had such respect, such love of God that they didn't want to control God. They knew they couldn't control God. And so they remained silent when his name came about in the scriptures. But God gave Adam good work with his mind to name animals. So early in Genesis, God gives meaningful and valuable work to both to both our bodies and our minds. Work in the soil and work in ideas. And when I say work, I don't want you to think uh, simply about the work that you get compensated for. Because work is more than what we get compensated for. We, we work and, and our work is both paid and unpaid. There's a lot of my life that is unpaid work, right? Are you following with me? I mean, I, I think about how many of us, raise your hand if you do laundry. Oh yeah, that, that is work. Some of you don't. You ought to step up and do some laundry here. How, how many of you wash dishes or at least put them in the dishwasher so they can be cleaned, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's work. When, I, uh, when my three boys were young, uh, I had the privilege and honor of doing work of changing diapers. I'm so glad I'm beyond that phase now, but it is good work. And I remember my mother-in-law, she would come every couple months and visit us. And she, uh, often when she came and entered into our household, she'd uh, offer, she'd offer to change every diaper that came her way. If I was in the room, she'd say, I want that. I, I got it. I'm done. I'm taking, the, you know, my grandchild, I'm gonna go change his diaper. But at some point I was like, you know what? Let me do this work. This is, this is work that I've learned how to do. And uh, the first time she saw me after about four months being away, she was amazed at how fast I could change a diaper. Cause I didn't want to be squirted. I didn't want to be, you know, all that stuff. But that is work. Paid or unpaid, it is work. And we need to value it. We need to find meaning in it because God does the same. A number of months ago, I was uh, at a stopping point in my day. You know, I'd reached, I'd been in the afternoon, I'd been using my mind a bit too much and I had a task to do and it was a frustrating task. And so it was work. I had to call my bank and I had to convince them for the third time to change our address. For some reason, we were having problems with our bank trying to change our address. So I uh, called our bank and you know, you have to go through all the prompts. 
and get finally to a human being who can answer your questions because they want to do it uh, automatically or mechanically. It just never works. So I'm trying to find the fastest way to get to a person. Well, I finally got to a person as I got through the prompts and a gentleman answered and he started going through all his, his security questions, right? You know those security questions. Well, I was a little surprised by his last security question. It was, uh, what do you do for work? And the simplest answer that I can give to uh, another person and to my bank apparently is pastor. So I answered pastor, it was my security question, and I heard him typing away, getting into my account. So I was like, okay, good. Maybe this guy can help me finally change my address. So uh, as he's typing away, it's a little quiet, and then he comes back on the phone and he says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, I think you've asked me a bunch of questions and you're now in my account. I just want to, but I didn't say anything like that. I just said, sure. And sure enough, uh, the gentleman on the other end of the line had a question. It was a little different than I expected. He asked, what is the point of fasting? What? (laughs) I'm calling my bank. All I want to do is change my address. And here I am answering a question about fasting. Well, I said, okay. I took a step back. I I was thinking, man, is this going to be recorded on the other end of the line? Is his supervisor going to listen to this? Because this is going to be a funny conversation. But I answered uh, this gentleman, and I said, fasting is a way of us getting in touch with our humanness and putting ourselves before God in trust because he is the provider. I don't think that's what he expected on that other end of the line because the phone went silent. And uh, I started uh, asking him some questions. First, his name. Uh, He didn't offer that at the beginning. His name was Chibula. And I have no idea where he was. He could have been anywhere in the United States. He could have been somewhere else in the world, right? And I uh, asked about his, his uh, wife's name because some things came up. And he came back and he, he asked again in the midst of my questioning him. He said, is fasting so that God will bless me? Do I need to fast in order to be blessed by God? That's fundamentally what he was asking. Do I need to do something good in order to be rewarded by God? Right? The fundamental question underlying this funny series of security questions. And finally, uh, what is the point of fasting? And so we had a long conversation. And I heard my kids busting into our house because at that time my office was right near the garage door and our four-year-old always peeks in and says hi before he goes on and does his other things. So they went on and did their other things and as Chibula finally changed my address, I went back and I asked him, I said, hey, I, I, uh, can I pray for you? And uh, after, it was a half an hour phone conversation, he said yes. And I prayed for Chibula and his wife and their kids because they were asking, believe it or not, questions of vocation, questions of meaning and value in their work, questions of where they live and where their family ought to live and how they can invest in their lives. And they had been given bad information, bad feedback about what life is and how it works, a life that uh, is rewarded for good deeds Or no, it's a gracious gift from God. 
And I got to reinforce that in this half an hour phone conversation, unpaid work, trying to change my address. I got to reinforce that it's a God. We, we believe in a God who gives graciously. He, he offers his life in exchange for ours freely without any strings attached. Now, I don't know if Chibula will and I will ever run into each other again. But uh, what I do realize is that he heard a few things that were different than what he expected. And that I experienced a few different things in the midst of my workday than what I would have expected. And God was there. God was present in the midst of this phone conversation uh, many miles away. I love uh, what Eugene Peterson has to say about work. Uh, He writes this in one of my favorite books by him. He says, I'm prepared to contend that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace. Wait, listen, let me read that again. I'm prepared to contend that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace. Not in our church gatherings, Not in our midweek, I don't know, uh, gospel communities. Not in our, um, not in our quiet time, but in our workplace. Do you guys understand how significant our workplaces are to us being formed by the Spirit of God? Our work is vital to how we are growing in love with our God and in love with our neighbor. In love with God, in love with neighbor. All right, I wanna do something different this morning. I want you to turn to a neighbor. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds each, and I want you to, uh, there's an exercise, it'll pull up, and uh, I want you to spend 30 seconds talking about, you can turn to a spouse, turn to a neighbor, someone, uh, just be uncomfortable and awkward with them, because that's what this is gonna be, right? But 30 seconds to talk about how your work has stretched you, has grown you in a unique way. Uh, Maybe something that you've discovered new about yourself, or uh, something that you hadn't known, okay? 30 seconds for the first person, 30 seconds for the second person. Go, go, person one, person two. How has your work stretched you? Okay, switch to person two. I know. Okay. 
All right, come back to me for just a moment. I know, I'm breaking up the party. So what did you hear? What were maybe a theme, maybe something that you heard? Not specifics, don't throw out a boss's name or a coworker's name or the company's name, but, but what did you hear? How has uh, someone been stretched by their work? Yeah, right back there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, your your God God is showing you mercy through your boss. Wow. That's good news. How about someone else? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. How about someone else? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Choosing to stand up for your values in the midst of your work. Yeah, right here. Both of you. You guys can go back and, back and forth. That's fine, and then we'll, we'll look. Okay. It requires sacrifice to do things of consequence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, one last one. That you don't have to let the negativity around you at work bring you down. Yeah. Yeah. One of my one of my friends, Dan, is a, a construction worker, uh, and when he when we started to talk about. Uh, Jesus, who grew up as a construction worker, because that's what he was. He worked with rock and wood. He worked with his hands, right? He found so much more meaning in the significance of Jesus's gift of his life to him, right? Because for 30 years, he spent, ish, he spent working with his hands. Calloused hands, not from nails, but calloused hands from rock and wood and hard work. Think about that. Think about our Savior who works for 30 plus years in hard labor, right? And so Dan was having a hard time with his boss uh, and he started to share some of the dynamics there with his boss. And I said, well, have you ever prayed for your boss? And he said, no. And he said, you know, okay, this next week I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna start praying for my boss as I drive to the site. And so a week later I followed up with him. I said, how, how are things going? He says, you won't believe this, but my boss seems to be, uh, one, uh, more open to me because as I pray, I begin to ask questions of how can I serve my boss? And so my boss is a little shocked because I'll come in and say, what do you need? How can I serve you? And so then again, uh, prayer is going to work in Dan's life, making him realize once again that he is a servant, that he can give himself away for the sake of his boss. Really interesting. In some of my work, I uh, work with adolescents. I work with students. Do we have any students in here right now? Are they all a handful? Yeah? Okay, I work with uh, adolescents, right, in their, in their teenage years. And adolescents go through a phase where they uh, try on, just as a part of their developmental process, they try on different masks. They uh, try on a mask with their family and they try on a different mask with their group of close friends. 
And they try on a different mask as they play volleyball. And they try on a different mask with a tutor that they meet with or uh, maybe a coach that they meet with one-on-one. And so they end up having this uh, disconnected or disintegrated identity. And it's a process where they have to come to grips with who am I? Who do I belong to? What does my life mean in every day? And they go through a natural process of starting to take off those masks. And, and eventually the hope is and the desire is they come through the adolescent process is that they own who they are and that they can be one person in the midst of all of those various and different relationships. My fear in the midst of our workplaces is that some of us haven't been through that process of adolescence, is that we actually put on masks in the midst of church gatherings, in the midst of our family, in the midst of our workplaces, in the midst of uh, relation or uh, maybe where we have to consult and we go into different settings, but we are different people in each of those places because we've put on a mask. Think about that. God's desire for us is to live seamless and integrated lives. Lives where I am the same person in front of you that I am with my wife and kids. Where I'm the same person coaching my kids on a soccer field as I am washing dishes in the midst of my kitchen. And I think in our culture, it's easy for us, even as adults, to not live integrally to live uh, disintegratedly. But God's desire for us is to live whole, flourishing lives in relationship with God and self and other and all of his creation. God cares about people. He also cares about the work that people do. We often think that work is simply for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with our coworkers or our bosses. That we ought to just start Bible studies or gospel communities in the midst of our workplaces. But the reality is, is that God cares about those people, but he also cares about your work. He actually cares about what you do. He cares about what I do. I love uh, this illustration uh, as I talk about work. Um, God not only cares about uh, pastors, he, call, he cares about the work of pastoring. God not only cares about teachers, he cares about the work of teaching. God not only cares about lawyers, he actually cares about the law. Are you following? God not only cares about auto mechanics, God likes fixing broken things. God not only cares about artists, he actually loves creating art, right? So often in the midst of my life in North County, San Diego, I uh, point uh, at beauty displayed in the sky. My family often says, what are you pointing at? They're like, what what are you doing? Take another look at what God does through the sunset. Just take one moment and behold God's beauty. And so God not only cares about your coworkers and your bosses, he also cares about the work that you actually do. I want to introduce you to a couple of friends of mine, uh, Evan and Stephen. Stephen's going to be the voice over here as he talks about work and the relationships of work beyond just the people we work with. All right? Take a look at these guys. Actually, 
the fruit of that tree can be quite remarkable. Let's consider a craftsman. Have you ever wondered how many hands have gone into the materials of his work? His basic material begins as a grove of trees on the land of the farmer. That farmer can profit from those trees, but what does that mean? The farmer calls a forester who will clear the trees and then sell them off. The farmer gets paid for the trees, and the forester gets a product in exchange for his labor. What's remarkable here is that both men are profiting because it's in the exchange that the value is created. It is in the relationship that we find such a thing as value. And now this forester takes his profit and enters into other relationships. He sells the wood to a lumberyard. He exchanges the money he makes for the labor of his employees. Or he buys new equipment from another fellow who sells it. Or he sends his kids to school. And his employees take their profit and enter into exchange relationships with tons of other people. It goes all over the country, and soon we see that our work is not toil or something that concerns just us. It's something that creates a huge organic mass of relationships between human persons. And that brings us back to the craftsman. His individual work, his creativity, is actually one part of a larger whole even if it looks like he works alone. And it's the same with you, whether you're a janitor, a CEO, or a programmer. When you do the workaday tasks of your job, you are exercising your own creativity, but you're also collaborating. So when we talk about the fruit of that tree, what is it? The fruit of that tree and all of our creativity is not only products, but relationships. Evan, the fruit of our labor is fellowship. It's community. It's relationship. Whether we even know it or not, we are tied into a relationship with all of the people that went into the making of this very table. From the farmer, to the forester, to the mill worker, to the craftsman and owner. It's all right, we'll stop there. I want, you, I want you to imagine for a moment those bubbles of all the people involved coming out of this room. In fact, think about the chair that you sit in. Imagine for a moment all the people involved in bringing that chair to being underneath you. How many different people are involved in that chair that you sit in today? Just name them. Who do you... who? who? Machine workers, what's that? Sales, yeah, salespeople. What else? School secretary, yeah. A designer, yeah. An oil worker, yeah. Yeah, to, in order to transport it, right? To be a part of that. A miner to actually get the minerals out of the earth uh, to make metal and make plastic. A chemist. Yeah. How many different people were involved in one chair? All the bubbles in this room of all the people who were involved in the creative process. What a big concept. But what we, what we produce, what we create is inherently relational. 
what we create is inherently relational. And the kingdom of God just happens to be relational. In the video, there are visuals, and those visuals give us uh, maybe a, a window into our own work, a window into what we do day in and day out, hour by hour. I want you to think of one place where you do work, paid or unpaid. I want you to think of that place. And I want you to think about how many different people, not just that you work with, but those bubbles, those webs of relationship that are represented in your workplace. Each and every valuable thing we do in our day contributes to what God wants to do in the world. It also makes us ask the question, are there trivial things that we do that actually don't contribute? We might need to ask, is my work meaningful and valuable? It's a worthwhile question to ask. And are there things that I do that actually are a waste of my life. Not just a waste of time, but a waste of my life. I love this quote by uh, John Mark Comer from a book I recommend quite often. It says, our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what what we do and how we do it. And all he is doing and all he is saying is going back to Genesis 1, where God himself says, I'm gonna make them, I'm gonna create them, and they're gonna be in my image. They're gonna be in my image. I'm not gonna have totem poles that represent me. I'm not gonna have altars that represent me. I'm not gonna have idols that represent me. I don't even need a temple, believe it or not, because my people are my temple. My people are going to image me in everything they do and say and who they are. And this theme goes throughout the Old Testament as God says once again, and reminds his people, you will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's what God wants. He wants a people to be his. He wants a people that represent him clearly, that don't live with masks, that don't live as different people in all of these different settings, but they live as, for me, for Josh, that I live as Josh right here, imaging God in the midst of every setting that I encounter during a week. That I can say and that I can ask for forgiveness when I fall short. But I can say with all of my life that I want to be who God has created me to be, to image him clearly to those I encounter on a daily basis. And that's the invitation he has for all of us in paid and unpaid work to image him, to make him visible to the people we encounter, to the people we don't encounter through products that we use, 
in this relationally organic world that we live in. Does that make sense? Your work, my work, it matters because God is weaving those relationships into what he wants to do in his kingdom here on earth. Yeah? We're gonna turn to communion in a few minutes, uh, but I wanna pray. I wanna pray that we would inhabit the places that we work, paid and unpaid, in the home and out of the home, in significant ways that we would image God clearly so that the invisible God might be made visible through us, his people. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that through your people again and again, you remind them that you are their God and they are your people. I pray this morning in the midst of this gathering of New City Church that we would have a longing to image you well. And that as we think ahead, as we think about tomorrow, as we think about our work week, that we we might have a deep desire to image you well with everyone we encounter that we would be amazed by all of the relationships that we are already in. That we would be blown away by the work of our hands that we get to image you as the creator in the creative ways that we work. God, I pray that you would give us encouragement in our workplaces so that we might, uh, we might stand for who you are and what you're about in this world, that we might delight in what you delight in, that we might have broken hearts over the things that break your heart. And that in our very workplaces, we might be able to say and do things in order to point to you, Jesus. God, as we pray, we reflect on our workplaces and our relationships. We want all of life to be about you, Jesus. Will you let that desire grow in us, deep in us, roots deep in our hearts and our souls and our bodies so that we might be different. We might be changed. We might be transformed by your good news. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Do you want to lead us? Kenny, you want to come up and lead us in communion? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for that reminder that, um, that our work matters and that God doesn't do his work in the world separate from his people. He wants to work through us. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm encouraged by that today. I just want to uh, make room for us to respond to the word that we've heard today. Um, we have uh, communion, which uh, every week we take part of just to remind us that though we were far from God, as scripture says, though we were enemies of God and objects of his wrath, that when Jesus came, he 
Um, he lived the way he did. He imaged God perfectly for us without sin and then died on the cross and his blood was shed to bring us near to God. And um, that's, we talk about the scandal of grace, it's that. We don't deserve this grace. We don't deserve to be able to image God to our neighbors and friends and coworkers and families. And yet, God has called us righteous. He's called us into this. And when we believe on him, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and empowers us to live it out. We're not perfect, but he's perfect. And he lives in us and he gives us power to live that out. Does that make sense? Praise God for that truth. So we want to take a few minutes, and, and um, if you want to, in groups, in, in pairs, uh, however it may be, um, there's a few questions that can get dialogue going um, about maybe what God's been saying to you today. So we're going to take part in that. Um, uh, if you want prayer, um, if you just want to pray about an issue that's come to mind during this talk, um, I'll be up here and can pray with you. And in a few minutes, we'll come together at the end uh, for one last song to worship together and, and go on into the rest of our week, all right?